0: RadioInfluence.com You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are happy that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast and The season is upon us. Isn't that how you say it? The season is upon us? Yeah, the season's upon us. Oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're doing two special things today. Uh, We are going to answer your questions that you tweeted in uh, about my time in WCW and and TNA. And so I, I said I'd spill it all and I will spill as much as I can for sure. And I finally got the boss man, Jerry P. Tuck, <laughs> on the podcast because somebody had to play off me since we had no official guests. Um, so those are the two things. So that's who you hear. He is a... Um, the great Oz has yes, left the booth. Yes, he is he, he is um, extremely well-known and... Uh, that's uh, a damn lie. In in, in the uh, Tampa Bay market. And um, so we're happy to finally get him on the microphone. I was saying, that, that $100 bill you slipped me help, too. Oh, no, 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 no. So... <laughs> So, the holiday season is upon us. And, you know, after Thanksgiving, all the Christmas lights go up and nobody answers their phone anymore. And, and people go to work for about three hours and, and love being a realtor during that time. But, um, that's a whole nother story. But, uh, so, like I said, we decided to do, uh, something a little different and, uh, we're gonna take your questions in just a moment. Um, wanna talk about a couple of things first. I'm gonna, uh, broach a subject that, I've kind of been holding off broaching, but um, I think it's finally time for me to have my say. And uh, hopefully uh, hopefully, you'll understand where I'm coming from. But before we do that, kudos for Impact Wrestling. Um, if you are a fan, an old school fan who grew up watching studio wrestling back in the 70s and 80s, what they did on Thursday night with uh, their throwback show, two hours of... Uh, Studio show with totally different characters, totally different announcers, uh, but 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 doing storylines and stuff like that. Uh, I was entertained uh, tremendously. Uh, I might have been for me the most entertaining two hours of, of wrestling uh, that I've watched in a long time. Not because the product was great, because they were doing you know mostly rest holds and you know, they they were doing seventies and eighties wrestling uh, where a sup or a suplex was a uh, finisher. But if you, if you listen to the commentary uh, that, um, that the guys did, uh, Giuseppe Jr., uh, played by Josh Matthews, and uh, Sexton Hardcastle, stealing an Edges old gimmick, uh, played by Don Callis. Uh, it was just really entertaining. Um, if if you didn't grow up watching studio wrestling, it might go over your head. I still suggest that you might want to take a look. But uh, if you if you did, uh, it was a slam dunk in my opinion, and um, and maybe something that they could do on a on a semi regular basis. I don't know, maybe quarterly or at least once a year. Uh, I've seen a lot. Of, some people didn't like it, and I, like I said, you kind of have to have grown up in that era to, to understand what they were making fun of. But uh, but great stuff, and I uh, really enjoyed it. And if you are a fan of that era of wrestling, and you have a sense of humor and a pulse, I do suggest that you uh, check it out. It's a standalone, so there's no rush. But over the holiday season, I do suggest that you check it out. Um, it aired this past week on Access TV, and uh, I thought I'd love to hear your, your your thoughts on it. If you thought it was the, the shits, let me know. Let me know why at David Penzer, all one word uh or at Penza ringside on twitter but um i'd love to hear your comments but i i, I was thoroughly entertained and was texting back with giuseppe senior aka scott demore during the entire broadcast so it's kind of was like the icing on the cake to be able to get into the mind of a, of a little bit of what they were going for so that was pretty cool I was trying to get him on as a uh, to do a cameo uh but uh the, he he's swamped so maybe down the road if anybody cares uh, it would entertain me, but I don't know if it entertained anybody else. Um, I have bit my tongue over the course of the last several weeks uh, regarding a couple of incidents. Um, one was a couple weeks ago. One was recently. Um, Jim Cornette uh, has left the NWA Power Show and I, I guess has left the NWA for making a comment he shouldn't have made in 2019. And he admitted that if you listen to his podcast. He said, I shouldn't have said it in 2019. Jim Ross, uh, some, not a lot, not as many as, as 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 Cornette, but Jim Ross, some calling him a racist for referring to a uh, female Asian wrestler as uh, Oriental, saying that's the most Oriental version of Freddie Mercury that he's ever seen. Uh, he quickly c- corrected it and said Asian, by the way. Um, look, I'm not going to get into the point of in 2019, 2020, if the PC culture that we live in is 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 good or bad, that's that's not for me to say. That's for my kids and my grandkids to fight out. Uh, it is what it is, and uh, that that's a debate I don't want to have. What what I do want to say is, I, I just would plead for some people to before they use the word racist for people who grew up. I mean, for people now, it's, 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 it's a, it's a disgusting word, but especially for people who grew up in the seventies and, 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 and eighties when, you know, and, and in the sixties, I didn't, I was born in 66, but I didn't grow up and get to see, you know, Martin Luther King and, and, and the struggles that African-American community overcame. Um, but I know my dad was real big and marched in the rallies and was a huge fan of Dr. Martin Luther King. So, uh, you know, I grew up in a household where to be a racist was was a disgusting, horrible thing. And what Jim Cornette said, while, again, not appropriate for 2019, uh, he had said before uh, several times on various broadcast networks that were a lot bigger than YouTube, not anything bad against YouTube. And it's a, uh, a fun show to watch as we talked to Brian Hebner a couple of weeks ago, but he had said that exact line before. He made it up. He claims he made it up over uh, with Big Bubba. Said it on TBS. Said it on. Uh, he also said it about Bob Backlund on USA, and, and nobody said a word to him about it because you have to understand, and this is my point. You have to understand. We live in a different world. Back in the day, things different things were acceptable. If if you if you don't understand what I'm saying, go to uh, YouTube and pluck two episodes of All in the Family. Just two, from from it doesn't matter any two really, uh, not towards the end of the run because they sort of watered down the Archie Bunker character because they, uh, it got it kind of lost its zing. But but from the first few three four five seasons, and 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 you could see that what qualified as humor in the seventies and the early eighties doesn't no long, no longer qualifies for humor, but just because somebody repeats that in this day and age does not make them a racist it may make them uninformed uh it may make them uh uh you know not not aware of the bigger picture but i just hate that word that racist word uh my my family adopted uh, uh my sister is korean I adopted her when she was 2 years old she came over in uh, the, the 70s and and i can tell you firsthand that that when people would say, hey, you know, I heard that your family adopted, they would either say a Korean sister or an Oriental girl. That's that's just what people said. There's, sorry. Uh, sorry. It, 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 that's the words people said. Now the world has evolved and now it's, uh, you know, it, it's H- Asian and, and that's how it's referred to. Uh, but but because somebody drops a word that was perfectly fine to use 30 years ago in the in the live uh, task of doing. uh, uh commentary, I don't think that makes them a racist. Um, I know that doesn't make them a racist. So my point is, everybody makes mistakes. We live in a t- totally different world. The jokes that, like Cornette, like the ones Cornette was saying, you would hear African-American comedians like Red Fox, uh, and, and you'd hear those jokes on the, um, the uh, what were those roasts that were popular, Jerry, in the? Uh, oh, the old, uh, like Don Rickles. It, Don Rickles, but it was uh, Dean Martin Dean, the Martin. Dean Martin roast. I mean, go back and watch a Dean Martin roast, and 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 the, the African American. I mean, they would be run out of town for what they said back then. So, it's, and my point is not that it, that that it was right back then. My point is it's a different world. But you can't hold people to that lived in that world where it was okay to not make a mistake now and then. And so that's my rant. Uh, it's not much of a rant, actually. I just wanted to address it. I just, I, I really wish, well, I really would implore those who use that horrible word to to really give it a lot of thought before throwing it out on Twitter. It's real, it's real easy to throw stuff out on Twitter, folks. I know. Uh, I've I've done it, but uh, you know, uh, I try to before I hit uh, send or whatever it says on Twitter, I, ch- I, I try to look whatever I put over a few times. And there's been a lot of times that I haven't hit the button, uh, but I would just, uh, just, just my two cents. And, and, and uh, I guess uh, if you're listening and you are one of those people, you're not wrong for thinking that those comments, especially the, the Cornet comment was inappropriate that he admitted it was inappropriate, but uh But just wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a few minutes and and take a deep breath before using a horrible word like racist over one comment that was from a different time and a different era where those comments were acceptable. So that's it. And uh, hey, again, if you think I'm full of shit. Well, you are. If you think if you don't like what I'm saying, if you have a different view, I love to to debate. Ask Jerry Pita. Jerry, do I love to debate? This is the guy that sends me texts in the middle
0: of the night that goes, do you just see that? Do you see that? I'm like, no, dude, I was sleeping.
1: He loves to debate. I love to debate. Hit him up. So, and I don't get mad and I don't block people. I did block one person, I have to say. Speaking of blocking people, I also blocked Chris Cruz like a long time ago. And boy, hes I wasn't planning on talking about it, but I, I don't care. I'm, we're telling all today, baby. He's, a, he's in the news. What a What a joke. What a joke. If you don't like what a pro- how many times have I said this? If you don't like a product, don't buy it. What a stooge! He was on my case for about a month, a month and a half, and it was fun at first. And then he got personal. Then he like started. He found my my realtor ID number, my real my license number, and he was like putting it out on social media. And I had to block him. I didn't even know how to block people. I don't. Chris Cruz, man, if you're listening to me please get help. There's, you, you got problems. And if you're not familiar with what, with what I'm talking about, I guess uh, Chris Cruz has been obsessed with trying to get uh, AEW in trouble by the Baltimore Sports Commission, Athletic Commission for the uh, Kenny Omega, John Moxley hardcore match. And is like obsessed with it where he, he won't let it go. So they have to at least pretend that they're doing a, an investigation in it. So I don't I don't understand what makes him tick, uh, but I just say Chris Cruz get a life and that's it. And with that, we're gonna answer some questions. I'm gonna try to be as honest as I can. Uh, a lot went a lot went by very quickly in WCW, so um, I've thought about a lot of these questions. A lot of them were really good. Most of them were good. If we don't get to your question, we'll probably do this again sometime around Christmas. So uh, so if we don't ask your question on this podcast. We will for sure answer your question at a later date. Thank you all for participating, for those who did. And with that, for the first question <laughs> that I have to answer, I will throw it to the boss, Jerry P. Took.
0: Well, Dave, it's funny you bring up Chris Cruz. Number one question. Bob from Sheboygan wants to know what your thoughts on Chris Cruz are. I just said what are my I'm thoughts kidding. on Chris? I'm kidding. Bob from Sheboygan it's better than walla walla yes. all right first question uh comes to us from uh at gone over here i'm gonna bounce around a little bit on your list all right. uh at gone over here on twitter thanks for hitting us up uh we'll start off with something easy and something kind of fun what are the funniest and meanest ribs you've ever witnessed in either wcw or tna and uh, he also has a follow-up question uh how are those negotiations going uh with uh, scott steiner and as far as getting
1: him on the podcast. Uh Negotiations. I every time I see Scott Steiner, I said, "Scott, will you do my podcast?" He says, "Sure." Text me, and I say, "Okay." And you sure you're going to answer me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just text me a couple times. It might take two or three times. And then I text him two or three times, and nothing. And when I saw his brother Rick Steiner, he 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 said, "You do realize he's working you. He's never going to text you back. He just doesn't want you. He wants. He just wants you to quit bugging him." So negotiations. I think negoti—I would say they're stalled. How's that, Jerry? Negotiations are stalled. I'd love to get Scott Steiner on the podcast uh, to 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 date. The by the way, uh, Scott Steiner back in the day, legit in WCW towards the end, legitimately scared me, and I still don't know. I still don't know if he was if he was literally losing his mind over the politics and the craziness and the 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 stress, or if he was just playing a character because he never stopped playing it. Um, you know, we'd go back in the dressing room after and he, he'd he be in that character and he'd be pushing stuff over and punching the walls. And I I didn't get anywhere near him. Um, I he, only have I only have
0: one request. What's that? If we get Scott Steiner on the show. What's that? He's got to do mathematical problems.
1: <laughs> he's got to. That, that's the greatest promo of all time. <laughs> one of the greatest promos of all time, at least. And um, it, it's so it's so funny how it's uh, lived on through through social media. And I remember uh, when it aired on because they aired it, you know, uh, we were uh, taping it. It was pre tape, but then they aired it. And I remember Don West and Mike Tanay because I used to sit by them when I, I, I when I was at ringside uh, announcing and two of the funniest guys in the world, by the way. And I used to and, and Don West literally had tears rolling down his <laughs> his uh, his eyes. And today wasn't far behind him. it was hilarious uh but but you never you never know uh whether Scott was really that character or not, and he he won't answer me the, the good thing about Scott character is Scott Steiner is or the bad thing about Scott Steiner is you ask him a question or you say something and he pretty well much just nods his head with a kind of smirk on his face and says you know kind of answers your question and blows you off so uh Funniest and meanest ribs you ever witnessed in WCW. My, I don't know if I ever discussed this before. The rib on me was, and, and I don't know that it was funny or mean. It was just a pain in the ass. Uh, I had a briefcase that I carried around. I just actually was cleaning my office because my wife threw everything out in the hallway and said, clean it up or throw it away. So I threw it away. And I actually still have one of the briefcases with four padlocks on them, two on each side. Uh, but they would... Uh, it. I turned out that I didn't know who it was at the time, but it was a c- conglomerate of people led by Kurt Hennig. And and when I talk about the funniest and meanest ribs ever witnessed, Kurt Hennig has to be on the top of the list. Uh, uh, he he's the, was the funniest and greatest ribber of all time. Uh, but uh. Uh, Nick Patrick was involved as well and, and Booker T I think And some other people it was, it, but, but, but basically every time we would go to an event Whether it was a, a house show Or a televised event I would come back after the show was over And my Briefcase would be Padlocked by the Handle to something It would be hanging from the ceiling It would be padlocked to a, to a Locker, it would be padlocked to the shower head It would be padlocked to something and so what happened was I'd have to go find, and I think I told the story, maybe on Talk Is Jericho. Uh, I I had to go find the uh, maintenance guy for the building to get uh, 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 we call it? bolt cutters to get the get them off. But the funny thing is they couldn't get the padlocks off. They could just get whatever they were attaching to because that was skinnier. Usually it was a a chain. So I'd ha- I'd I'd walk through. Uh, Airports, and I don't even think you could do that these days Probably with not. all the restrictions. But walk through airports with four, three, two, three, four padlocks on my, <laughs> on, on, uh, as I'm carrying my, my briefcase and, and got some looks. And, uh, and, you know, the locker room was entertained and it didn't bother me too much. Finally, the ring crew started carrying bolt cutters.
0: I was going to ask you when yeah. you started carrying your own.
1: No, no, no. The ring crew started cu- carrying bolt cutters, but still, some of those padlocks they couldn't get through. But I had to get but the problem was I had to get the 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 it off of whatever it was hanging on. It wasn't that much the padlocks that were pain in the ass. They just stayed there. And, uh, but um, that was how I'd say the meanest rib that ever got played on me. I still to this day don't know if it was a rib, but having that angle with Kurt Angle and TNA. Oh, he beat the hell out of me. He you. beat the hell out of me. I might have to put up the picture on social media again, or, or you could actually YouTube it. Uh, looking for it on YouTube, um, but uh, I, I still think that was uh, might have been a little bit of a Jeff Jarrett rib gone bad. I don't think he meant for Kurt to hurt me like that, uh, make me look like the Elephant Man. But um, everybody knows the story about Kurt Hennig when all the NWO guys were hiding under the ring, and and he took like uh, he ate all the greasy food he could, and took. Uh, uh a couple of um uh, uh what do you call it uh what do you call it? Jerry help me out on this what do, you, what do you call the product that like if you're constipated it makes you oh like X lax and um and then he actually roll. I watched this now I didn't watch him insert it but I watched this I watched him roll up toilet paper into like a ball like the size of maybe the the your pinky uh well maybe not maybe mine maybe not yours Certainly not uh, the big shows. Uh, pinky uh, nail, and uh, and then he laughing the whole way. He just had this look on his face, and he's laughing and he's smirking. And Kurt, what are you doing, man? I'm gonna put this up my ass so that so nothing comes out until the time is right. And um, and uh, and and yeah. So uh, we're on live TV, and all the NWO members are in the ring. There's a buck under the ring. Or a bunch of them. There's a bucket under the ring, and when the time was right and the pyro went off, Kurt Hennig uh, extricated the little pieces of uh, paper towel that he had rolled up, and extricated everything else uh, that he had inside him into the bucket. Uh, Nobody could go anywhere because they had to do a run-in later in that uh, in that segment. So uh, I think Scott Norton puked. Uh, So you got the 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 crap and the puke. And uh, it did go on to uh, be one of the more famous ribs. I remember one in TNA when Kurt was up there. I went up to TNA before I became a ring announcer. I was going to help them. They were have, uh, having their guys do indie bookings, and Bill Barrens was working on it. And Bill couldn't do it for some reason anymore. So because I had had an in-your-face booking site uh, in 2001, 2002, they were going to have me handle all the, uh, the, the indie bookings. So I went up, they flew me up to Nashville and, um, uh, glad I, I'm glad the whole thing happened. It didn't end up working out as far as me booking the talent. Uh, and I don't even remember why. Uh, but I'm glad I did because that's, uh, the, the time I got to go to, uh, to the famous, uh, Nashville, uh, bar Tootsie's Tootsie's. Thank you. Love Tootsie's Tootsie's with Kurt and gargled some shots and, um, and he sang some songs, and uh, it's a memory I always have dear. But but I remember that. Um, so it was after the show was over, and and um, Kurt Smart had smartened me up earlier that he had stolen somebody's check. I don't even remember who it was. Maybe James Storm or Chris Harris, somebody like that. You know, they got paid. They got checks there at the at the fairgrounds. So he had stolen their check, and he literally he literally for. 45 minutes after the show was over, watched this person search desperately for their check. They were searching under the bleachers because there was a talent meeting earlier in the day to talk ironically about me booking the talent there. He was searching under the bleachers. He was searching his bag. And Kurt was smart enough not to go close enough where he would, you know, understand that um, that it was a rib. But this person was and and uh, and but, but every once in a while, Kurt would throw out, did you search under the bleachers? Remember, we had a meeting up there and it doesn't sound funny because I don't have a a sense of humor but finally he planted it in the guy's bag and after about 45 minutes an hour the guy found it and um, uh, I told the story on Talk is Jericho and and I'll wrap it up on on ribs is um, oh actually some of the funniest ribs were the ribs Doug Dillinger used to be the head of security for WCW and he was a police officer Um, so he some of the funniest ribs were like um, Dusty used to get Klondike Bill uh, they would they would have real police officers that were in in on the rib. Uh, they would have real police officers that were on in on the rib. I can remember a couple of times they got Klondike. One time it was um, they they said that he uh, uh, was in a strip club the night before and caused a problem and they had pressing charges. And one time it was underage girl an underage girl. Uh, and they were literally they, they 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 the police would come and say, "Are you you know Bill? What I forget his real name." You'd say yes, sir, and uh, were you at this uh, uh place last night, and, yes, sir? Um, could you put your hands behind your back and meanwhile, everybody's peeking around the corner. everybody that's in on is peeking around the corner, and they did it to a couple of people. I think they got um I think they got Barry Wyndham once uh but that was a common rib where uh because Doug Dillinger and dust and Dusty was so over, and Doug Dillinger was a police officer, you could get the police officers to cooperate and put somebody in handcuffs and uh, and literally read them their rights. Uh, so those were some of the funniest ones. Um, but uh, there's one I told on Talk is Jericho that uh, Benoit did with the Mexicans. We went out one night with the Mexicans and uh, we took two cars and Juventud Guerrera was the driver. Why would he be the driver, by the way? <laughs>
0: but I would say with all the Juventud stories I've ever heard, that sounds like one of the stupidest Yes,
1: yeah, But he he happened to leave his uh the car keys on the on the table that we were uh, all sitting at to uh, drinking. And so of course Benoit took the keys and when t- time to leave, uh every they're looking for the keys and psychosis is getting mad at Hoovy because Psychosis is saying you lost the damn keys and, and and this went on for probably an hour as the bar, you know, as we were the bars closing up. And um and finally uh Benoit put the keys on a table somewhere and they found them and Ah, you know, they were all foul. The Mexicans were fighting, talking in Spanish, and it doesn't sound that funny. The interesting part of the rib is, is, is an insight into Chris Benoit's behavior. When it was over, I said, all right, Chris, when are we going to smarten them up? And he looked at me, and goes, we don't. To me, the whole point of a rib is sort of like so, you know, so people knew they got ribbed. Chris was a different kind of cat. Chris never smartened them up. I mean, they, to this day, if they're, hey, Hoovy and psychosis, if you're listening, it was a rib, uh, when you lost your keys in the bar, God, I could, I could imagine the airport, but I can't think of where I was somewhere in Michigan. I want to say, but, um, but he never, and, and, and look, if, if Chris, if Chris Benoit said, don't smarten him up, you didn't smarten him up.
0: I want to follow up there. You mentioned a guy that's kind of become this cult legend. Thanks to Tony Shavani's podcast, Klondike Bill. What uh, all, all jokes aside and stories
1: aside, what was his deal? He was just a gullible old man. Is that what it was? Yeah, he's just a gullible old guy. He was, you know, he, he loved his job. He, you know, look, you know, back then in the wrestling business, when you reach a certain age, you know, uh, you know, people didn't retire with a million dollars or half a million dollars in the bank. And there weren't these, these, uh, you know, we spoke to John Arezzi, who did the first wrestling convention uh, a couple of, about a month ago. Uh, there weren't these uh, people every weekend that were paying you to come and sign autographs and do appearances. So, when you were done, you were pretty much done. You went home and you got a job as a prison guard, or you got a job as a, you know, a sheriff's office. That was the pretty much the go-to place to go. But Bill was able to keep his gig, uh, putting up the ring and and driving down the roads and doing what he loved doing. And 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 he was just uh, he was just a, an old guy. He loved what he was doing. Uh, kind of was losing it a little bit. And um and and I know Tony Schiavone told the story when he was on the podcast back in probably years ago in the early days of City Ringside. But uh, one of my favorite stories of all time is when they did a promotion in for the Charlotte uh, baseball team that uh, the Crockett's owned and they were going to pick out a lucky winner and they were going to put the idea was to put out a thousand dollars in one dollar bills around the stadium and you had 30 seconds 60 seconds to get as much money as you could and you could keep it. Well, they told Klondike Bill, they handed him a a, a big basket, and they said, uh, go out and, and put this money out on the field. They he was going to spread it all over the field. He poured the entire thing on second base. <laughs> so the key was you have to run around to get the money, but the guy who won... Just uh, ran to second base. Exactly. Went to second <laughs> base. I think he ended up take, getting like $500, whatever it was. It was bigger than the gate they had that night. They actually oh, lost geez. money on the night. That's funny. So that, uh, when Shivani told me that story when I was riding with him one time, uh, I, that's still one of my favorite stories to this day, because how does he know any better? You know, he's an old guy. He said, go put the money on the baseball field. He puts it all on second base. Have you, have you ever seen the, the
0: the movie Old School? I don't the think the one so. with Will Ferrell and they they start their own fraternity. I, when I think of Thondike Bill, I picture Blue, the character Blue, never the, the little old guy that like talked the, the the sorority girls into jello wrestling in the basement. <laughs> That's what I envision. So I, I've always wondered if Thondike Bill, if, if this was like
1: really him. No, I think he played along a little bit, you know, in the wrestling business, you got to play along a little bit. You know, I would act when I didn't really care anymore about the, the, the locks on my briefcase. Cause I knew that I had a lot of, you know, there was already the ring guy waiting there going, all right, where'd they, where'd they get you this time? But I would play along a little bit and, and, and act a little annoyed cause you got to play along a little bit. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Klondike was pretty much Klondike, pretty much what, what Tony, ta- uh, talks about. And, uh, he was just happy to be there and afraid that he would lose his gig. And and so, you know, and, and they loved to rib him. And I could remember two or three times that he ended up in handcuffs thinking he was going to jail. And Dusty would come out. Ah, Dusty, you got me again, you son of a bitch. Uh, so he was just an easy target. He's yeah, exactly kind of like I was. That's funny. Because my briefcase was left there all alone for the entire show because I was out by the ring. But I'm not comparing myself to Klondike Bill.
0: All right, well, let's move on. Okay. Uh, next question comes from uh, Stephen Spradlin. Who, in your experienced mind, is the best ring announcer in wrestling today? He also asked what your favorite gimmick match type is.
1: My favorite gimmick match is the Royal Rumble. Love it. Love it. Love the Royal Rumble. It's coming up here in uh, about a month and a half. And I don't always, I usually try to watch all of WrestleMania. uh, But sometimes I even don't see all of that. But I always watch the Royal Rumble match live. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Uh, there's always somebody, you know, a bunch of people who are uh, surprises, and it's always coming down to the last minute. So uh, that was a Pat Patterson invention, and uh, without a doubt, my favorite type of gimmick match. My least favorite, by the way, is uh, anything on a pole, bro. Just saying. <laughs> uh, you know, I can't answer the, the question about the ring announcer, because in my mind, and this is not a cop-out, but in my mind, and you can call me on it if you want, Jerry, in my mind, a ring announcer's... You could find anybody and WWE has found any, and and not, not take anything away from them. It's hard to get up in front of a crowd and and announce you know people, but you could find anybody almost who looks good and, and, and you know to, to, to read you know ladies and gentlemen, uh, this match is scheduled for one fall introducing first you know from this place weighing this much here. you could do any, you, could, you really could find almost anyone who's outgoing to do that. In my mind, what a ring announcer is supposed to do, is keep the audience engaged when when there are no matches or in between the matches and promote the things that are coming up, promote the merchandise and promote the websites and promote the, the, the things that are coming up. And I don't go to a lot of house shows. JB was great at it uh, when, when he was there for uh, Impact Wrestling TNA. Uh, JB came up with the, uh, the who wants to go backstage gimmick, which always worked. I mean, because who doesn't want to go backstage at the end of the night? So we'd have people yelling and screaming for hours on end just to hope to be the one that they picked to go backstage. And, um, of course, everybody, we always, every time, we always brought somebody backstage. I, I would say there was a couple times that uh, the tapings ran. No, uh, I, I'll, I won't get into that uh, backstage. But it was a great gimmick, and it worked. That's awesome. And it was JB's idea. And that's the kind of stuff that I consider a good ring announcer. I, I have heard... That JB uh, does come out at certain times during commercials and before the uh, tapings at full sale. Really, and I don't think they do the backstage thing anymore. Uh, but uh, he does come out and and get the crowd warmed up and throw out t shirts and and so he's still doing that, which I was surprised to hear. I found that out a couple weeks ago. Um, the guy uh, we had, as as I mentioned, every once in a while we did a um, we do a wrestling convention twice a year uh, here in the Tampa area championship wrestling from Florida fan fest. And one of the people who attended, uh, now rings the bell at NXT. So I was asking him about, you know, different things that are going on. And, and, uh, he did mention that, uh, that JB, uh, comes out and that he, that this, this person who rings the bell, throws out t-shirts and works with JB to keep the crowd entertained. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if, um, Justin Roberts does that. Uh, I'm assuming he does, but, uh, I have to get to an AEW taping, uh, hint, come to Florida, Tampa, please, uh, uh, to see if he, how much he engages the audience. Uh, I know that, um, Melissa Santos is very, very well thought of. Uh, she does a great job, you know, in, in the broadcast and lovely to look at, much more lovely than Justin Roberts and Jeremy Borash and certainly more lovely than me. Uh, but, um, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to run away from the question, but I, I'd like to see what they do when when, when they're not just introducing talent and, and working the crowd, and then I'd be able to answer better.
0: Speaking of JB, why do you think they're not utilizing him more on, on WWE TV, on, on camera, as opposed to using him, you know, behind the scenes? Do you, do you think they just feel his strong suit is behind the scenes? It is, or? really.
1: His strong suit is. And and from what I understand, he, he does a lot of the creative packages he, he does the creative on them. And then when, when when Impact Wrestling, when TNA was down to nuts and bolts, and I'll give me and Jeremy have not always seen eye to eye. We're not best buddies. You know, we don't, there's no heat, I don't think. Um, there's a little bit of professional, probably, uh, uh, competition. Uh, but he, I give him credit for the backstage thing, and I give him credit. He taught himself how to uh, edit. He bought an edit. The thing for his uh, for his um, laptop, he taught himself how to edit videos and he because they, they needed somebody to do it. And he was working and getting a paycheck and he had time during the day or during the week. And so he taught himself to do that. So he co- he was very, very, very instrumental in, a, in almost all of the Hardy stuff. Right. Um, and edited almost all of that stuff and creativity, and creativity, creativ- creatively, creatively. Um, was very very involved in that. So my t- my take is that Triple H sees him as more uh, beneficial creatively and 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 technically as far as editing these packages go. Uh, but I was int- I, I was surprised to hear that he does still go out and entertain the fans, which is smart because he's good at doing it. Um, uh, he's as good as anybody I've ever I've ever seen. I count myself as somebody who's pretty good at it. Gary Capetta's fantastic. Was fantastic at it. Uh, we've had him on the podcast. If you want to go back and listen to the um, that that episode uh, in the uh, archives, but um, so I, I hope to see more house shows or more live events now that we have more companies and. Maybe I could answer that question better when I see how they work uh, work the arena and not work the TV.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know the WWE tends to lean more toward having female backstage reporters and, and things like that. But, you know, Jeremy was just so good in that role with, with Impact and with TNA.
1: WWE never, and I mean, even when they had Howard Finkel, they never had the ring announcer play to the crowd. I, I, we talked about it with Justin on the first episode of Cindy Ringside, and Justin wrote it he, 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 what he did in WWE and what even Howard Finkel did in WWE, in my mind, Howard Finkel's the best of all time, hands down. Uh, and I wish him the best uh, with the uh, ongoing issues that he has. Uh, I hope you have a great holiday, Howard, if you're listening. And he might be, you never know. Howard's a big fan. But, um, but they, they, never, uh, they never really entertained the audience. They never counted down to, you know, one of my big things was counting down to when we were going live on, on Nitro or Thunder. And, and they never really did that. They, 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 a lot of it they did through videos, pre-tape videos. And to this day, they still they, they do a lot of it through videos. So when they're when they're pushing the concession stand or, or the merch stand or they're pushing their pay-per-views or they're pushing their different products, that's all done through video on the, on the big screen in between the matches at the house shows. So it's, it was always just a different type of... I followed, you know, Howard Finkel followed uh, what Vince wanted him to do, which is what everybody has since followed. And I followed what Gary Capetta was doing, which was a much more interactive uh, uh, kind of relationship with the crowd. And it's just it's it's funny that you know that there was two different ways of doing things, but uh, but still, Howard's the greatest of all time. Gary Capetta, definitely second behind him. Love you, Gary.
0: All right, well, Charles Rob, um, Charles Robinson, <clears throat> yeah, Charles Robinson. That Charles Redmond, yeah, Little Niche, uh, Charles Redmond, <laughs> uh, hit you up about Eddie Guerrero. Um, he wants some uh, Eddie Guerrero stories. He said he, you know, he's always heard that Eddie was a character, but hasn't really heard many, you know, direct stories about Eddie. So, what do you have?
1: I actually thought hard about this, and I got a story about Eddie Guerrero that pretty much sums him up in 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 one story uh, that that uh, I don't think has ever been told. Uh, I'm pretty almost positive it's never been told, and. It kind of, it's kind of embarrassing when you think about what we used to do back in the day to kill time driving from town to town when there were no cell phones and you didn't always get a radio signal or, you know, uh, the only thing that was on. I'm on AM was the, uh, the guy who, uh, who, who, who believed in aliens. You know? Art Bell. Art Bell, yes. Thank you very much. And um, Eddie, Eddie would flip on a dime. And you just never, there was no leading up. He didn't have to, you know, sometimes when he drank, you know, but all the Guerreros, when they drink, and we had Chavo on talking about that, uh, when, uh, when all the Guerreros, when they drank, they would flip on a dime. But Eddie would flip on a dime. You just never knew when. And then he'd laugh about it, especially if he wasn't drinking. Um, so we had a trip that we did in a kind of a van. They, they call them an SUV now, but it was a minivan. And it was me, uh, Dean Malenko, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis, God bless him. Uh, Eddie, God bless him. I can't think of who the fifth person was, and it really doesn't matter. Um, I had, and, and and we had a cassette tape player in the car. So I had gotten, you know, we all grew up in the 70s, same kind of age. So I had gotten like this best of the 1970s tape. I didn't realize at the time, but it had every sappy, what they call now like yacht rock song. Brandy, you're a fine girl, you know. Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, Uh, and we all would 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 you know at first you know you know you're you're with guys that you're friends with but you don't know how you know you don't want your man card pulled so at first like guys would start humming along and you have to understand uh, we'd listen to this tape probably six or seven times in full over the course of, of of the three day road trip and first people would hum and then guys would start singing real low and by the time. We were rolling after a couple of days. Everybody's just singing out loud, you know, having fun. Uh, so there was uh, one of the songs was uh, uh, Seasons in the Sun. Goodbye to you, my trusted friend. Don't know if you ever heard it. I, I, I never sing.
0: One of the most depressing songs We've known of each all other time. since
1: we were nine or ten. Um, so we're listening. We're all singing along. We have joy. We have fun. We have see- all of a sudden. Eddie was sitting in the back. Not. The, I was. The, Dean was driving. I was in the passenger. Eddie was in the middle seat. All of a sudden, Eddie darts to the the radio, pushes the eject button. Takes the tape out, starts pulling the shit out, and goes, God damn it, I can't take this anymore. This fucking 80s sap bullshit, 70s sap bullshit. And took the fucking tape, destroyed the tape, and threw it out the window. <laughs> so Seasons in the Sun broke him. He broke him. Broke him. Terry, Terry Jacks. Jacks. Terry Jackson Jacks broke, broke him. But, um, that was Eddie, and then we laughed about it the rest of the trip, but we didn't sing anymore because he had thrown out and broken and destroyed and <laughs> thrown out the window of the tape. But well, I'll never forget that, and it was a great story. I, and can, hear, I can hear Eddie with yeah, that yeah, accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's his Damn it, I can't listen to this shit anymore. Fucking seasons in the sun. <laughs>
0: that's funny. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Eddie once. Um, it was like, you know, these guys get home. Their hours and, and schedules are just crazy. For whatever reason, I, I was, of all places, and you're going to know exactly where I'm talking about, Dave, the Walmart in Tampa, in North Tampa on Dale Mabry and, and Ehrlich, yep. right? Not that anybody listening to this has any idea where the I hell that exactly is. I know
1: exactly where it is. I think I passed it yesterday.
0: Okay. I was in there at like 2.30 in the morning one night, and this would have been, <sighs> Eddie was, Eddie might've been champ in the WWE at that time, but wow. it was like 2.30 in the morning, and I was just coming out of work. And he was the nicest guy I've ever met in
1: my oh, life. Oh, he is. He, until he's not anymore. Yeah. And I, he does, didn't have a mean bone in his body. Well, the fun- He had a temper, but he didn't have a mean bone in his body. Well, the funny thing was, it was like I said, it was like 2.30 in the morning. And I just
0: kind of looked at him. And I mean, obviously, he didn't know who the hell I was because, you know, who would. And, I, and I, you know, I introduced myself and, and, yeah, was was very nice to him. I said, why the hell are you in a Walmart at 2.30 in the morning? And he kind of choked and goes, when else could I go to a Walmart? <laughs> and I just stopped well, and sure. went. Touche. That's true. But yeah, he was, He couldn't have been any nicer. And and you know, it was such a such a pleasure to meet him. And and I, I think actually, I think Vicky might have been with him.
1: Did she live here in, in Tampa? Yeah, 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 they lived here. Yeah, super, super nice guy. And uh, like I said, he had a temper, but not a mean bone. Not a bad. But you know, there's a lot of guys who who you know could be you know have have you know I don't I what's the word I want to use you know who could who, who who lose who lose their temper and don't feel bad about it he always felt bad about it you know 20 minutes after he threw out terry jacks out of the out of the the <laughs> and uh, out of the van he's going sorry guys man i just couldn't take it anymore and we're just laughing about it cuz that's a- hey by the way um uh somebody also asked is kevin nash is uh, just noticed it cuz they also mentioned scott steiner and we already hit on scott steiner somebody mentioned uh, is kevin nash is funny in real life as he is on camera he is funnier in real life than he is on camera, and it's not even close. Um, I've tried to get him on this podcast. He doesn't want to do it. He, 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 Kevin beats to his own drum. I love Kevin Nash. I'm not saying anything negative. And Kevin would admit this, and he has admitted this. If he has no interest in doing something, he's going to half-ass it. And it's going to, not going to be good. It's going to be, hey, Kevin, so tell me about this. Uh, okay. Uh, and it's going to be two sentences, and it's not. we're not going to have funny Kevin Nash. And if I can't have hilarious Kevin Nash then I don't want any Kevin Nash, but he, uh, you know, if we, he, he actually said he'd come on and talk politics. So maybe as the, um, 2020 election gets closer, uh, we'll have him on to talk politics, which we don't really talk on this show, but maybe just as a quick, maybe a segment as an example of how hilarious he is. Um, some of the greatest time I ever had, I've mentioned this before in the wrestling business was Nash time, uh, would be after lunch, uh, in the, in the uh, boardroom uh, at Universal Studios, and Mike Tenay and Don West and me and Kevin would come in and sit for about 45 minutes, just shoot the shit, tell stories, uh, you know, talk about different things going on, sports and different stuff. Uh, they're all big baseball fans. Don West and Mike Tenay and, and Kevin could all name baseball. You could say, like, name the catcher of the 1969 San Francisco Giants, and they could not only name the catcher but his backup. Uh, but it was, and, and while I'm a baseball fan, I got into it way later, um, and was never that into it. But yeah, he, Kevin Nash is hilarious. Uh, if you ever get a chance to, if he ever does any kind of, uh, QA's, uh, I know he did a, what they call a eat and greet. Uh, but I, I suggest that, uh, that you check it out. That was that at cast. I don't know if they do those anymore, but, um, I, I sat in that one a little bit just because I was curious if he would be as funny with a bunch of people he didn't know, and he was hilarious. And the people came out of that event, that eat and greet event, and they just it was the time of their life. So, yeah, if you ever get a chance to see Q and A Q&A with Kevin Nash, do not miss it. It's, he's hilarious. As many of you know, sports packages on cable can cost a fortune, and many times they don't even show all the games you want to see. That is why having Express VPN is an absolute must for any sports fan. ExpressVPN has helped me save hundreds of dollars on sports subscriptions just this year alone. They also let me stream all the games I want to with no restrictions, and here's how it works. ExpressVPN tricks the sites into thinking that you're located somewhere else in the world. This lets you watch games that are blacked out in your region and buy sports subscriptions that cost less in other countries. You could use ExpressVPN to stream all sports, the NBA, the NFL, even the English Premier League. You name it, they have it. Looking forward to watching my Tampa Bay Rays through ExpressVPN coming up in 2020, hoping for another great season. But I will tell you that as a huge fantasy football fan, and anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I am a huge fantasy football fan, it's frustrating to have blacked out games. You know, you have a, your local team's game and maybe another team's game. So I've been using ExpressVPN so that I could have all the games uh, and just go back and forth and kind of see almost like my own red zone channel. Uh, so I'm looking forward to using express VPN as well for the playoffs. I can't believe football season's already over and or close to over and the championship games. My prediction, by the way, 49ers in Baltimore. Express VPN is also so easy to use. You just fire up the app, pick a location you want to appear from and hit connect. Where do I want to be from? I want to be from Kazakhstan. ExpressVPN VPN is incredibly fast and works on all your devices, even your smart TV, so you can stream sports in HD from anywhere. That's how I use it, as a matter of fact. And even when I'm not watching sports, I always have Express VPN running on my devices 24-7 because it encrypts my data and keeps it safe from hackers and prying eyes. You get two for the price of one. A great company and a great deal. So listen, save money and watch all the games you want to with the best VPN for streaming sports. Visit expressvpn.com slash ringside today. Get three extra months for free. That is expressvpn.com slash ringside, R-I-N-G-S-I-D-E. Three extra months absolutely free. You can learn more. I have been enjoying ExpressVPN this entire year. Saved me a ton of money and got some great games that were blacked out in my area. I implore you to check it out. Get your three months free and enjoy the postseason. Of the NFL on ExpressVPN.
0: Well, the great Fowler, not sure what makes him great, but, you know, the great Fowler. He's a
1: fan of mine. That, that's what makes him great? That's what makes him great.
0: Actually, he's got a great question. It's something I've wanted you to talk about before, and, and you've never really dove too into it. But, you know, he asked, you know, since you don't have an agenda, can you discuss the role guys like Meltzer had and how widespread the newsletter, insider info, and, and stuff like that were in both companies? And, and I'll piggyback on that. Uh, you know, what was their impact, especially now in the social media age?
1: Well, we've talked about it before a little bit. We talked about it when Melcher was on is that uh, nobody would dare read it in, you know in, in sight of anybody in the company. You know, when I would drive down the road with De Malenko and Mark I'm just for example, or Or an R Anderson and Charles Robinson, I'd have the sheet sheets in my briefcase and they'd be hidden. and I would not take them out. Uh, I would not say I had them. And well, I would say probably 80% of the talent and probably 90% in the office did the same thing. They wouldn't admit they have them. They never read them in public, but they read them and they had them. And uh, so it's just funny now that it's all out in the open and everybody can talk about it. But I was always, one of the things I was afraid of when they when uh, they would mess with my, going back to an earlier rib, when they would mess with my briefcase is I would was always afraid that they'd find the k Fapes. Sh- they'd find the, the, the K-Fabe sheets and, and you know, they I'd, I'd get, you know, called a mark or whatever, or, you know. But, but you know, like I said, at the end of the day, everybody, everybody, uh, I don't want to say everybody, 90% of the of the people in the business were reading the K-Fabe sheets because that's sort of how you found out everything that was going on. There was no internet. And um, so um, I do know Meltzer was very close with um, – Zane Breslov, who was very instrumental in WCW uh, in the Monday Night Wars. His official job was as he booked the buildings, but he did so much more than that. Um, Dave Meltzer was very close with with Zane, and, and Eric was very close with Zane. A lot of the stuff that you hear now where Meltzer and, and Eric clash on either uh, whoever's podcast or on a panel discussion or whatever, um, in my opinion, just knowing what I know, is is... Probably stuff that Meltzer said. A conversation that Meltzer had with Zane, and then a conversation that Zane had with Eric that mentioned stuff that happened in that conversation, but probably wasn't word for word. And so now, in Meltzer's mind, he had one conversation with Zane, but Eric had a totally different conversation with Zane. So in Eric's mind, Meltzer's full of crap. But in Meltzer's mind, he had that conversation with Zane. It just wasn't the same one he had with with Eric. Um, so as far as how how to roll, how, what his role was. I don't know so much in WWE. I know that he talked to Vince a lot in the during the steroid trial days and when the company uh, had problems. I know that uh, after that, uh, I think Vince pulled away from Meltzer a little bit. But uh, but I know that he was very instrumental in uh, bouncing ideas off of Zane Breslov, who was very instrumental in bouncing ideas off of Eric Bischoff. Uh, and then you had the success of WCW. So you could kind of put two and two together there.
0: Cool. Well, twenty years of Nitro hit you up on Twitter. He's at twenty years of Nitro. Um, Asked a couple of questions. First one, we'll start off with. Uh, you know, he says Eric Bischoff credits Scott Hall with creating the Crow version of Sting, and you know he said that he thinks Scott Hall actually backside account. And as I recall, when you had Scott Hall on the on the show, he he vouched for that. But I guess Guy Evans in the Nitro book uh,
1: said that a production guy may have done it. Who actually did it and what are your memories of that? Here, I, I, God, for the longest time, I couldn't, it's not really a production guy. The guy you're talking about is, uh, was in charge of all the props and the safety and all that. And, you know, if they wanted the ring, like this week on AEW, the ring opened and guys came from underneath. If they wanted that, then this guy did that. If they wanted, uh, you know, any kind of, if they wanted the monster trucks, uh, 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 to do stuff, he took care of that. So he was like a prop, I would say a prop and safety and, um, he was sort of a stunt guy. So his name was Ellis Edwards. For the longest time, I'm driving to my parents for Thanksgiving and uh, I could see Ellis Edwards in my head and I can't think of his name and it finally came to me, Ellis Edwards. And I think he was working with WWE. I'm not sure if he still does. I have to ask uh, one of the agents that I'm friends with. But um, yeah, up until recently, at least, he was working with the WWE. I think what, I don't know this, this the answer to this question 100%. I think what they're getting at is that Scott Hall came up with the the character, the actual character, and I think Ellis might have came up with the dropping him down from the ceiling gimmick, Mm. or at least was very instrumental in that. Uh, So I think that's where there might be some confusion. Uh, I I, I don't know if Scott, and I'd love to have him back on, one of the smartest guys in the business, uh, I don't know if he... I'll send him a text and ask him. We could follow up next week, but... I don't know if it was his idea to come to drop down or if that was Ellis's idea but I think any either way Ellis was extremely involved in it and the different places he would drop from and the different things he would he would you know it was always something to try to trick the NWO so I think that's where Ellis's part comes in
0: well, 20 Years of Nitro, second question, and I have a feeling there's going to be a whole lot of backstory to all of this. Let me read it for, uh, verbatim from him. We talked recently about the weird coincidence of a Nitro episode that had both Sean Casey and Hardbody Harrison, who both went on to serve time for running prostitution rings. Any stories about those two guys? Harrison, in particular, sounds like a, uh, a difficult personality. So I know you and I were talking a little bit off air about
1: Hardbody Harrison. Um, yeah. I googled Scott Casey, Sean Casey. Sorry, uh, there's a wrestler named Sean Casey. He did serve jail time. Uh, I, I don't remember Sean Casey, so I apologize. He might have done one or two shots, and uh, maybe as a security guard or something, or maybe as an enhancement guy. So I don't know about that. Hardbody Harrison. He was a mainstay for a while, a few, a couple of years. Um, he, he wasn't. He wasn't a difficult person. He was a unique person. Um, very flamboyant. I remember one time he got in a fight with uh, in Disney with uh, Alex Wright, and actually Alex got the best of him. But but other than that, he really wasn't difficult. He he knew his spot, and he was just happy to be there. But the funny thing is, and what we were talking before we we, we press play is he would brag about all the stuff that he was doing. He would say he had all these people that were this, he was running these prostitution rings, and everybody thought he was full of crap. Everybody rolled their eyes. He would he would tell us in detail exactly what he had. I have this girl. I have. 18 girls and 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 have these girls do this and these and this is how much money I bring in and everybody's thinking if you're doing this what are you coming in doing an enhancement for 150 bucks and I still don't know the answer to that question but the, the the ironic you know everybody would roll their eyes and and nobody believed him for a minute you know we thought maybe he might have been you know a minor player a minor pimp in in in, in some area but not the whole prostitution ring that he's in, in jail for the rest of his life for kidnapping women. And, the, and so when it came out that 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 he got arrested and it happened, everybody's like, oh, my God, the guy was telling the truth. We could have had some, <laughs> I shouldn't say this politically incorrect, but if anybody believed him, we probably could have heard some stories.
0: <laughs> well, you know, pimping ain't easy. So uh, Boston Harmon, we'll, we'll move on from the, the prostitution and the
1: pimps. Well, the- yeah, he... he, he he, he all but bragged about it and nobody believed him. And so part of me thinks when he got caught, he was like, uh, I'm going to jail for the rest of my life. But yeah, these guys, these guys in the locker room now know that I wasn't full of crap and they're going to they won't roll their eyes at me anymore. I think part of them was relieved. Wow, that's insane.
0: How, how was he not one of the more popular guys backstage in the locker room with all of these?
1: Because nobody everybody thought he was full of crap. I mean, if I think if anybody in a heartbeat thought he was really doing what he was doing. A probably he wouldn't have been employed there, but but B uh, think about it. I mean, I'm I'm sure that Eric and I know Kevin Sullivan had heard the stories about him bragging about the prostitution stuff, uh, or being you know being a pimp or whatever he was doing. Uh, nobody believed it. He had a, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had a job. He wasn't a, you know nothing against him. He was a good athlete and a decent wrestler, but he he was he was just an enhancement guy and um and and. Did a good job, but not like he he, he drew ratings. Um, so you know, you look back and you say to yourself, if anybody even thought for a a, mic, a nitro minute that uh, that he was really doing what he was bragging about doing, he wouldn't have had a job. So, like I said, I think there's a part of me that were like that that where he was relieved when he got caught because uh, I, it must have been frustrated that he was telling the truth all that time and everybody rolled their eyes, thought he was full of crap.
0: Uh, his story is one of the more. T- take wrestling out of it. Just the world of sports. One of the more interesting stories you're ever going to find. And that's because an understatement
1: because there's a lot of stuff in sports that are... It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And he bragged about it. It's, it's just, the one thing uh, I I, I'll, I'll never forget. I, I, numerous times he bragged about it. Son of a bitch, he was right. Do, do a little...
0: If you're don't, if you not familiar with the story, I, I highly suggest you do a little homework on this guy. It was a major prostitution ring. Really. I know. I, I remember when he got busted. And we're like, Seriously? But we were like too. We were like son of bitch. You well, saying you the the lived truth. with it. We well, like not with him, but you know of, what I mean. Son of bitch. He was telling the truth. That's crazy. All right, let's move on. Um, next question is from Armand. He's at Boston Armand on Twitter. Who were the most political people backstage that no one would suspect were indeed political? Anybody who legit kept to themselves, didn't join any cliques? You know who?
1: Who would surprise you? Kept to themselves. Who would surprise you? Played the political card. This was the, probably the best question, not the best question, but the, the hard, uh, this one made me think the most. Um, because you have to understand in WCW, back when things went off the rails, probably in 98, 97, 98, 99, and definitely 2000, uh, every, you had to be political to survive. So I, I was, I really had to think hard about who was, who was the, 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 People political that no one would suspect were indeed political. By the way, when I say political, we're not talking about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. We're talking about uh, uh, the politics of backstage and wrestling. But once once the wrestlers, anybody who's making over $250,000 a year, basically, once they saw that if you got political and you pleaded your case to different people that you could get things changed, then everybody started pleading their case because why not? So guys, you know, you mentioned Eddie Guerrero and and Dean Malenko. They were never political people. They just used to show up and do their jobs and they were happy to be there. Even Jericho to a lesser extent. Uh, I think Jericho always had more, a little bit more fire in him. But, but then, you know, as, as, as those guys got more entrenched and and they thought they deserved uh, a bigger push and, you know, you had the nashes in the halls and uh, those guys that, that were on top and, I don't want to say we're holding them down, but we're certainly uh, on top. Uh, so, so everybody basically became political. I, I would say Roddy Piper really wasn't all that political. It, 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 he would fight fight for what he thought was right for his character, and he had every right to do it. And and I, I know there's a, there's one famous deal where him and Kevin Nash almost got into an argument, but he had his own dressing room. He really didn't venture out. Um, so he, I don't remember him being all that political, and, and if it was, it was just about what he thought his character would do. Um, maybe Booker T. You might be surprised uh, was 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 kind of political, and um uh and and I think he 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 he's, Booker T. is a brilliant guy, and I think Booker T. realized maybe before some of the other guys making you know half a million two hundred fifty to half a million dollars a year that uh that you had to state your case and you could get things changed. Um I'd say as far as join, didn't join any clicks. Roddy Piper again comes to mind, uh who legit kept to themselves. I'd say um Ricky Steamboat definitely comes to mind. Uh was never the clicky type. I actually never even thought Ricky Steamboat was political, but if you hear Ricky Steamboat talk now, he was a little bit more political than 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 I thought so at the time. He he but he picked his spots. And it wasn't during it wasn't during that time. It was more towards the end of when he was in Jim Crockett and then going to WWF and then coming back uh in the late um in the late eighties, early nineties. So um but but yeah, you you hear him now on Q and A's and stuff and he was a lot more political uh than he ever led on to. But good for him if you're able to keep it to yourself. Um but yeah, by by I would say by nineteen ninety seven, if you made, like I said, more than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars you you kinda had to. It was. If you didn't, you kind of were were done. You, you 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 were done. You were not going to get rehired, or you were jobbed out.
0: All right. Well, Paulie Blade wants to move into your TNA days a little bit. Um, you know, he wants to know. You know, history paints a rather negative picture of Dixie Carter as the head of TNA. You know,
1: what are your thoughts on her work? What were your experiences with her? Oh, Dixie, 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 Dixie. Uh, we almost every guest that that we've had on this podcast that's worked for Dixie. We've asked about what you think of Dixie Carter. And almost everybody has said that she was a nice lady. She was a nice lady. She was nice. She was always good to me. She was she was I never she was always good. I got paid good. Uh, uh, I got put up in the company hotel. I got I got uh, my my gas money paid for. Uh, She was always good to me. If anything, she I think sometimes she wanted the crowd to cheer too much. And by saying that, I mean, I think like she thought if they were quiet at all, that meant the match wasn't very good. And it's sort of the precursor to today's wrestling with the flip flop and fly where everything's talked about in advance and planned out in advance. So there's no downtime. But it was right in the middle where sometimes it was good to have the audience have a little bit of downtime so they could build up to something. And sometimes it was a little bit frustrating because if they got a little down during the match, she'd come up to me and she'd say, David, get the crowd going. And I. Because I had been around the business for a while, I I didn't think it was appropriate for them to be screaming and yelling at the time. But when the boss tells you to get the crowd going, you get the crowd going. Um, I would say that when I was in WCW, there was a time, and I I don't want to sound full of myself now, but I was full of myself then. And when I say full of myself, let me tell you how. When you're going from town to town and you have uh, wrestling fans that want your autograph, you have wrestling fans who know who the hell you are, Wrestling fans who want a picture with you, uh, stuff like that, and the crowd reacting—it becomes intoxicating. It's a drug. It's—I don't didn't, never did a lot of drugs, but I know people who did, and people who did a lot of drugs said it's one of the most intoxicating high they ever had. Is the roar of the crowd and the fact that people that you're you know quote unquote a star celebrity uh, and. I I do think if I'm being honest and I said, I wouldn't pull any punches. I do think Dixie might've gotten caught up in that a little bit. Um, but I got caught up in that a little bit and I'm just, I was a freaking ring announcer. It's just hard in this business not to Dixie would go out before the show and people would want her autograph. And because she was the owner of the company and, 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 and people would want to take a picture with her and that gets intoxicating at times. And, and, and I think Dixie would probably admit that she probably got a little bit, you know, I admit it, uh, uh, we were having a conversation about my son was in a wedding party, his first wedding party. Uh, he's 22. His first wedding party, his friend got married. So I was talking to him about the the wedding party, um, and they were asking me. My my two sons were asking me who my uh, best man was, and I told them the name, and they'd never heard of him. Who the hell's that guy? Well, he was my. He was a. I'm not going to say his name, but he was a, a great one of my probably my best friend, certainly my best friend from seventh grade to the age of 22. I was the best man at his wedding. He's the best man at my wedding. We were as close as close could be. Um, And I kind of blew him off because, you know, hey, I was David Penzer. I was the ring announcer for WCW. I'm riding with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Uh, You know, people want my autograph. People want, I have an eight by 10, you know, Bobby Heenan makes jokes about me in WCW magazine, which was actually Colin, the editor of the, that wrote Bobby Heenan's article. But you know what I mean? So and, and and I have reached out to people that I blew off in the past. Um, it's hard though for them, for, pe- for people to forgive you and to get back into a place where when when you basically blow off uh, uh, that big of friendship uh, it's hard to get back to a place where people care um, but, but, but Dixie's a nice lady and she does a lot of nice she did a lot of nice things for people and um, but you know I, I, I'd love to have her on the podcast, Dixie if you're listening. Uh, just you know, not uh, not so much to talk about this, but to talk about your experiences in the wrestling business. But um, but yeah, I, you know, every it, it, it's it's intoxicating. Uh, name me one person who doesn't get intoxicated by it, and I'll call you call him a liar. So I guess that's my my comment on Dixie Carter. And if I'm being totally honest, hey, I do want to. We, people were asking about ribs that we witnessed. I think that was the first question. Um, I had I had one that I had I forgot to tell. So um, I've for about. Eight months, I rode with, with Arn for a long time, but for about eight months, Arn and Rick rode together and I rode with them. And there was a time back at the end of the Crockett's where Rick was having some, uh, some, some anxiety type issues. Let's just say that. And, you know, everybody that sees Rick on TV knows that Rick is an emotional guy. He takes stuff to the heart. He takes it seriously um, where other people could just blow it off. And I guess back in the day, uh, as a rib, Arn got a white van to for the a road trip they were doing, and f- sort of like Eddie Guerrero lost it at out of nowhere uh, when Seasons in the Sun, Arn uh, they were in the middle of this trip, and and Ric Flair, if, as the story goes, looked at him and said. And what the hell am I doing driving around in a fucking milk truck? I'm the world heavyweight champion. <laughs> I drive around in limousines. I fly first class. Why am I in a fucking milk truck? So when I started riding with Arn and, and, and Rick, anytime Arn could get a white van, he would get a white van just to piss Flair off and Flair would still sell it to the, we'd be riding into the, you know, cause whenever you go, almost always when you go into a, a building. There's fan was fans out there waiting for the wrestlers to come in. I used to be that fan. Uh, waiting for the wrestlers to come in. And and so it would be like, These fucking fans, they think I'm coming in a goddamn limousine and I'm coming in a fucking milk chuck. Fuck you, Arn Anderson, you motherfucker. And 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 part of it was they were joking and laughing about it, but part of it he was legitimately frustrated by it. So they talk about fun ribs, especially with guys that that uh that everybody's familiar with. I always thought that was funny. And, uh, I wasn't there for the original milk truck breakdown, but, um, I got to live about, uh, uh, six to eight months of, uh, milk truck madness. That's great.
0: Speaking of great, the great Fowler returns more about TNA. He wants to know what the differences were in, uh, Vince Russo, bro, between
1: WCW and TNA, bro. In, uh, WCW, he had pretty much final say, at least for a time. Uh, too much time, in my opinion. Let's just say this. I like Vince Russo. He's a nice guy. I wish him nothing but the best. I don't wish him bad. I was not a fan, and I've never been a fan of his of his booking, and anybody who listens to this podcast uh, kind of knows that. Um, nothing personal. Ed Ferrara booked with him when they first came in, and I consider Ed a dear friend. Uh, I don't get to see him as often as I'd like to, but we've, we connect on social media and stay connected. And... Um, so it's not personal. Ed knows that I wasn't a fan of their style, and uh, but but the thing about um, and and Jeff was proud of this. Jeff would say when people would say, "Why are you bringing Vince Russo back?" Jeff would say, "Vince is good if he has a filter." When Vince McMahon was Vince's Vince Russo's filter, and he half half the stuff Vince Russo threw out, Vince McMahon said no to, and half the stuff he suggests to, but he worked with him to 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 kind of mold it. That's when Vince Russo's, you could say, his best work happened. Um, Jeff was proud that he was. He he thought he would be able to be Vince Russo's filter, and a lot of times he was because obviously there was a difference because somebody asked a question about it. Um, but there were times I still would say, and I think Jeff would agree, that Vince would sneak something in that probably he convinced Jeff sounded decent on paper and didn't work. Uh, and um and and so it was always a challenge uh he just had a different vision for the business and he he would look at just as an example we talked we started out talking about the the throwback show that impact wrestling did he would look at that show and think it was totally the dumbest thing he ever saw because that's not his what he thinks wrestling's supposed to be and that's what unfortunately that's what wrestling was so look wrestling in 1970 was different than in in is different than it was in 1980 it's different than it was in 1990 different when in the 40s uh it's going to be different in 10 years uh you know you, you got to roll with it uh do I like better what 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 I grew up seeing as a kid yeah do I but do I do I hold a grudge against it no B- things evolve and wrestling evolves uh Vince Russo's definition of evolve is a little bit different not the promotion but the word evolve a little bit different than I would say my vision of Evolve is. And I guess we'll leave it at there. But the the, the answer to your question was Jeff felt like he could be the Vince McMahon that could bring uh, Vince in, Vince Russo in. And he, he, like I said, he was proud of it.
0: Well, speaking of the differences between WCW and TNA, James wants to know AJ Styles in his early days, in his WCW days, did you think he'd become the star that he would later become, you know, in
1: TNA and now in the WWE? I say this not to brag. But anybody could go back and, and, and look, uh, do your homework. The moment I saw AJ Styles, and I don't even remember where it was. It might have been in uh, Bill Barron's territory. The moment I saw AJ Styles, I knew AJ Styles was something special. Did I think he was going to, you know, back then, you know, you were, it was a big man's business. Did I think he was going to be a world champion, uh, a, a major, one of the top guys in WWE down the road? Probably not. I don't think AJ would have said he thought he was going to be that. I thought he was he was a star. He was one of the best wrestlers I ever saw. Um, I was instrumental uh in in getting him into WCW and I was working in talent relations. Uh me and Terry Taylor were big fans and we pushed to get him in. Uh when the XWF was formed that we've talked about, AJ Styles was slated to be one of the top cruiserweights uh on uh, 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 and then you know once he started with NWA TNA uh, I knew that he was going to blow it away. Like I said, I, I can't say that I thought he would be a top WWE guy. That one sort of that, you know, we talk about the evolution of the business. That one is, is, is due to the evolution of the business. And really, I think what, what made that possible is him taking a risk and leaving impact TNA at the time and going to do Japan pro wrestling and showing that he could be a major player and a major promotion and a major, you know, sell out domes and stuff like that. But, um, Look, people had their... I remember sitting there with my oldest son when AJ Styles debuted at the Royal Rumble. And uh, how long before Vince, you know, uh, you know makes AJ jo- Styles into a job guy, you know, because Vince probably... You know, the, the stories at the time and the k fape sheets, so it back to the k fape sheets, which are now... Which is now the internet, really. Um, the story at the time was that Vince thought he was too small, Vince wasn't convinced, blah, blah, blah. So, you know... You kept waiting for Vince, but Vince pushed him to the moon. So Vince saw something in him, and, and God bless him, because the guy's a star, and he deserves it all. And I always, like I said, didn't expect he'd be as big in WWE, but expected that uh, when he started out that he'd be a big star. He just did things that nobody else could do, and he made it look easy.
0: Is there anybody from back in that time that you thought would be bigger than what they ended up being? No. I mean, Because the name that comes to my mind is Chris Harris. Everybody knows that he flopped poorly as Braden Walker. Is there anybody along those lines that you thought this guy's got it made that just kind of fizzled out? Off the top of my head,
1: not really. Um, I'm trying to think of, of all the different characters. There were some guys that I thought would be bigger that are now getting their comeuppance, like Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian, um, who I thought could be bigger players, but now in AEW are getting their, their chance. And I'm, and I'm glad that we've spoken to both of them on this podcast, both great guys, both extremely talented. Um, not really, but uh, there was a guy that AJ Styles teamed with named Air, Air Paris, Paris, who we brought him in with him in WCW. And I was convinced that Air Paris would be as big a star as AJ Styles. Uh, I don't know why he left the business, but he decided to walk away after a while and uh, never look back. And so... He, he never made it, but I, I thought I thought Air Paris would be a big star, and I, I still think if he'd have stayed at it, he could have been a big star. But uh, it took time. Uh, and and pr- hey, by the way, props to if if you're gonna shit on people, you might as well uh, compliment them. Props to Vince Russo and Jeff Jarrett, and I wasn't shitting on Jeff, but and 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 those in TNA for for pushing um, uh, AJ Styles and and Samoa Joe and guys like that, like they did. Um, it took WWE a while to realize that they their value um, but uh, but props that they that they gave them platforms because those guys are were extremely talented are extremely talented and uh, it's great to continue to see guys like Joe and, and AJ Styles either on top of the card or and Joe's spot right now because he's injured you know being featured as a commentator but he's another guy who's funny but you just never know it there's a whole group of wrestlers that are funny but you wouldn't know it from their promos Samoa Joe's one, Brad Armstrong, rest in uh, rest in peace, was one. Dean Malenko, who I hope to have on the podcast here, uh, uh, hopefully in the new year, uh, is hilarious with one liners, but you just wouldn't know it really from his promos. But there was a lot of guys. There was there was always a group of guys who were funny, and fun, you wouldn't know it from their. Even Arn Anderson, I think there's a lot of people. Even though Arn Anderson was a great promo, and and the stories of, that have been told about him were always funny. I think people that have, hear him on the podcast now and to hear the way his delivery is, um, we talked to Conrad a little bit about it a couple of months ago, uh, are starting to realize just how talented, uh, as far as comic and, and 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 telling funny stories, Arne Anderson really is. I know that Arne once tried to do color commentary. wasn't good at it, and he, he admitted he said you know he was one of the best promo guys in the business. Still, maybe is to this day, uh, even though he's not doing any promos other than his podcast, but you know what I mean. Um, it just he didn't transfer to to, uh, to to color commentary. He just wasn't good at it. I actually remember hearing him because I was the ring announcer. It was in Macon, Georgia. It was like a WCW worldwide taping and they had him sit in on a couple of matches. And after after he did it, he was like when Tony Schiavone, he said, Tony, I may be known as a funny guy in the business and a good promo, but that was the drizzling shit. <laughs> <laughs> he knew it.
0: All right, we'll wrap up with this. Um, this is from at Vi Lance Puso Bro. Say that 10 times fast. When it comes to WCW and TNA, what are your favorite memories? What are your worst memories?
1: Um, I'd say probably my worst memories during TNA was getting let go the first time. Well, that's fair. Uh, it was funny. My wife had, uh, we had, we had uh, just bought a, her a new car. Uh, and a part of the... Uh, as, As you all know, when you're, uh, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills based on your income, part of that, uh, income was, uh, was TNA, the gig with TNA and it was good money, uh, for a ring announcer. And so we had just bought a new car and and I told the story before Terry Taylor, whenever he would call, would say Penzer or whoever he would call. This is Terry Taylor calling and I'm not calling to fire you just so that nobody, you know. And so I remember getting the, uh, Getting the call. Hi, Penzer, this is Terry Taylor. And I said, and? Because I got bad news. Ugh. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't get fired for cause or anything like that. It was um, always stated that if Jeremy was not going to do backstage interviews anymore, that I I came in when Jeremy moved to backstage promos, which he was great at. Probably second best to Mean Gene of anybody I've ever seen. And that's really a compliment. Um it sounds like I'm kissing Jeremy's ass on this show. I actually, we don't really have a, a relationship. I just have a lot of respect for the guy. Um, but uh, but it was always said, you know, my TNA deal was supposed to be one week. Supposed to be one week. And Jeff said, come back the next week because Jeremy was doing really good with the promos and he cut out a niche for himself. If you remember correctly, when Eric and um, uh, his business partner from the Wonder Years, Jason, Jason Her- Hervey, Jason Hervey was, uh, came in and started doing stuff. Eric was never a big fan of Jeremy Borash. And so Jeremy stopped doing the backstage interviews and they'd have uh, Jason Hervey ask the questions from behind the camera. They were looking for a new, you know, something, you know, different, you know, instead of an interviewer, which has been a wrestling staple for, you know, going back to the fifties. They were, they just had somebody asking questions from, you know, off camera and people would answer it. So, you know, I, I, Got let go and J- uh, JB moved back into the ring announcer role and uh, and, and that's what it was. Um, I, obviously, worst memories during WCW was when it was sold. Um, other than that, there wasn't a lot of bad memories. Um, most of the memories were when people passed away or or, or stuff like that. But um, I, I had the time of my life in in WCW. Uh, I've, my top five memories, all my favorite memories in T in TNA were uh, sitting around. The table with uh, Don West and and Mike today, and different other people, Jim Cornette and Kevin Nash, as we mentioned earlier, Bubba Ray Dudley, um, different uh, you know different other people would come and go. Uh, sting, I can't even name everybody, but uh, by far those are my all my favorite memories. Uh, I had such a good time. There was no pressure on me. I didn't have a stake. I didn't technically need the job, although could have used a couple of another year or two to make those car payments. But, uh, but I didn't technically need the job, so there was no pressure on me. Um, so that was, I, I had the time of my life in WCW, but also in TNA, just sitting around the, the, the table, uh, usually between 2 and 4.30, just uh, eating up Don West, who's hilarious, Mike Tenay, who's hilarious, and whoever would drop by and guess. And I was just honored enough that they liked me enough to include me in the group. I was like, They called me the junior member. You know, I didn't say much. I kind of, you know, every once in a while, I'd be real, sort of when I was a junior member of the booking team, you know, maybe one time a booking meeting, I'd I'd throw out an idea. So maybe one or two times in all these conversations, I'd throw out a line. But most of the time, I was just listening having a blast. I talk about uh, memories, top memories in WCW. Um, They continue to be the same ones. Scott Hall walking down the, uh, the stairs in Macon, Georgia, when the light bulb went off in my head and I realized what they, the, this NWO invasion was all about. We knew Hall and Nash were coming in. We had no idea they were going to play off the Scheme Geem stuff and pretend they were in WW, from WWF invading. Um, and then um, something that I actually recently listened to because Arn was talking about it on his podcast uh, when they got the horsemen back together and Ric Flair uh, came back out. And uh, those to me will be the two. Uh, anything Rey Mysterio, anything basically Ray Mysterio. I was always a huge fan of Rey Mysterio, still am to this day. Tremendously talented guy. In a in a business of incredibly talented people. He is a tremendously charismatic and talent and talented guy. And in a lot of ways, because of his size and what he was able to do, changed the business for a whole group of people that now are making a shitload of money right now in different companies. So so uh he uh I'm not saying that anybody owes Rey Mysterio anything, but maybe uh of the cap for breaking barriers. And with that we'll wrap up the Q&A. We got to most of the questions. We didn't get to all the questions. We will save the questions we didn't get to. I have them on file and um want to thank everybody for sending them in. It was something different and um and so it's always interesting to do something different. Hey, let us know what you think. Uh you know, we we're, we're so, I'm, I'm so focused every week on finding a good guest, uh an entertaining guest that I could tell that could tell their story. Let me know what you think about me telling you some stories and and look you're not going to hurt my feelings. If you didn't like it, if you don't agree with me about anything we said in this whole podcast about the the Jim Cornette and the Jim Ross stuff about the the throwback impact show, if you think that was horrible, and if you hated the, the Q and a, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I was in the wrestling business on and off for almost 30 years. There is not much you could do other than mess with my family, ladies and gentlemen, to hurt my feelings. And I, I promise you that I'm not just saying that to brag. Ask Jerry Tuck. Ain't much you could do. Uh, So as long as you don't mess with my family or mess with my livelihood, you ain't going to hurt my feelings. So let us know what you think. Um, I'm really legitimately interested. Maybe we could do this once a month. Maybe we could do it. Maybe we'll never do it again. I don't know.
0: I I think somewhere along the way, it would be fun to do a show where you tell some of the stories from from when you were on the road with some of the guys. And I'm not saying, you know, get personal or anything like that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, hearing some road stories and some of your experiences would be fun.
1: Funny thing is a couple of people mentioned... Uh, uh, rats and I, 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 we used to stay in like four star hotels. We never had, we didn't stay in motel, you know, bad motels, so we never had rats. So I don't, I didn't really understand where that was coming from. Well, I wasn't talking about rats. I was just talking about, you no, know, no, but some people said, you know, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I saw, yeah, I saw it. You, you know, what did you think? Of the, you know, talking, tell me about the rats. We we stayed in the Hiltons and Marriotts. Well, and,
0: and truthfully, let's be honest. Why would you talk about stuff like that when it could affect people's personal lives now?
1: why would you, why would you even go there? I'm talking about like a rodent. Oh, you know, if you stay in like a cheap hotel that you have a chance of getting oh. a rat, but I, we always stayed in nice hotels. So. I just figured
0: you guys always carried little mouse traps. I didn't have to, or was that, was that the ECW guys?
1: To, to, all kidding aside, folks, were there ring rats? Yes. Was it something that I perused in? No. Uh, I was deathly afraid, uh, from being honest. I had two little kids and a wife and I didn't want to lose what I have. And thank God, knock on wood. Uh, uh, my wife is still with me. God knows why. Uh, but that wasn't one of the reasons, uh, but they were there, but funny, 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 last funny story actually, but since we already wrapped this up is they were there and people knew they were there. I didn't really pay much attention to them. It was always funny watching the different guys interact with them, you know, especially the guys that weren't married, uh, you know, the young guys, the hoovies, and the Ray Mysterio's, well, Ray might've been married, so maybe not him, but, uh, you know, the young guys that weren't married that, uh, uh, Didn't have anything to lose. What the hell? And um, so they were there. And then all of a sudden, like around 1998, they disappeared. And I remember sitting in a bar one time and a very famous wrestling person, who I won't mention his name because I don't even want to tie him to this conversation, but somebody who you would definitely know, who I hung out with, looked at me and said, Penzer, have you realized that all the rats are guys now? And I looked around the bar. (laughs) And it was all wrestling guy wrestling fans. There was not a there was not a woman to be had in the entire other than the bartender and the production people because the production. But, but and 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 it, like on a dime, it flipped. They went away. I don't know to this day why. I don't care why. It wasn't something I got involved in. But I just remember it flipped on a dime. They just stopped coming. Like within a month, it's almost like they all got together and said, "We're picketing." I don't. I have no idea. But I. They, they they were there and then they were gone and I'm glad I didn't depend on them because uh, the, for those who did it was uh, I would assume it was a lot tougher to uh, uh, and now with Twitter God knows what people would do I
0: have so many jokes to go with picketing ring rats it's not even funny
1: <laughs> but uh, I'm picturing a line with hell no we won't blow. oh whoa 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 <laughs> whoa 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 but uh, I God I don't even know if, if, if people even the young even guys who are single now you know. Yeah, I, I don't know how they would do it you meet a girl and and but and and you guys have a consensual night of fun and do what you're gonna do and people do that I'm sure I'm sure people do that I think, think there were a couple videotapes out of people doing that recently but uh yeah but but it's so different now but 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 with the internet and yeah, social media but it's then, so but then that person could come on Twitter the next day and say talk all about it right and I look I don't know that I want my even if I'm single and And there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I don't know. I want my personal business to be public business. So I don't even know that that's, I don't even know it's possible anymore. Even for the big stars who maybe still have women that follow them. I don't know. uh, You know, maybe that's why so many of the the male and the female talent hook up, you know, because, you know, you don't want to, at least, at least if you're, if you're Seth Rollins and you're with Becky Lynch, uh, you know, just as an example, then, you know, that stays between them. So it's interesting. It's always interesting how technology affects different things. But yeah, we did have some questions on rats. I didn't want to ignore them. Uh, it just wasn't something that was a big part of my life. Uh, but they were there, uh, just like they, and then they were gone, uh, in a moment's notice. And, uh, to this day, I have no idea why it didn't change my life at all. So it, I, I really don't care, but, uh, Hey, thanks guys. Uh, let us know what you think about this format. And, um, Let's know what you think about rats. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Next week, we're going to have another special guest, and we're looking forward to you guys joining us. Again, thank you so very much for supporting this podcast. Uh, Like I said, if you can follow me on Twitter, if you don't already, at David Penzer, all one word, or at Penzer Ringside. Uh, If you like the podcast, spread the word. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review if possible, and tell your friends and family. And until next time, I'm David Penzer, still sitting ringside. Hope you enjoyed this special episode of the podcast.
0: Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy,